neighbor, and welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, and if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 15 and verse 3, and we hope and pray it'll be a blessing to you. Fifteenth chapter of the book of Revelation tonight, if you'd like to take your Bibles and turn there. Revelation chapter 15. Also, while you're looking in your Bibles, you want to go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32. You got ten fingers, so you should be able to find ten scriptures and hold on to them. <laughs> Revelation 15, Deuteronomy 32, and while you're at it, go ahead and do Psalm 22. We're going to preach the whole Word of God. How about that? So just put your finger anywhere. We'll get to it eventually. <laughs> Starting in Revelation 15, verse 1, again tonight. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And these will be the worst judgments ever to be poured out in this world. But before these judgments are poured out, John said he saw there in verse 2, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire in them that had gotten the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, over the number of his name. He saw them standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now, let me remind you once again, these people are not in heaven because of what they did or did not do. These people are in heaven because they got the victory. And there's no victory outside of faith in Christ and what he did at Calvary's cross. So they got the victory over the beast. Now, the beast, as you know, is the Antichrist. But today, there is not... The man of sin, the Antichrist, is not in the world. He is not on the scene. However, the spirit of Antichrist very much is in the world. And every single individual who has not accepted Christ as their Savior is of the spirit of Antichrist. You're either of the spirit of the Lord or you're of the spirit of Antichrist. There's only two places you can be. And the only way to get victory over the spirit of Antichrist is to reject that and put your faith in Christ and the cross, and then the Holy Spirit will come into your heart and life and then make you into what you ought to be. And the moment 
you do that, you're then a child of God. You're then on the side of the Lord. Jesus said, if you're not for me, then you're against me. You know, so you are anti-Christ if you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior. But uh, these people are standing on this sea of glass because they got the victory. And like I said, the only victory there is, is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are there because I believe they heard the messages of the angels that were flying uh, through the heavens. One was preaching the everlasting gospel. Another one came preaching uh, that Babylon is going to fall. And then the other angel was telling them not to take the mark of the beast and worship the, the Antichrist and so forth. So I believe these individuals heard the messages of these angels, saw them, and then gave their hearts and lives to Christ. And because of giving their hearts and lives to Christ, when they were captured by the Antichrist soldiers and whatever the case may be going on at that time, they were given the option, you either take the mark or... We cut your head off. And I mean, you got to believe something mighty strong to, you know, choose getting your head chopped off. So at any rate, these people uh, really believed in the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, if you will look at verse 3. They're now in heaven, and verse 3 says, They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Go ahead and flip over, if you will, to Deuteronomy 32. This is the song of Moses. Now, at the time... Moses was writing this. He didn't know it. He was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he was writing out the history of Israel when he wrote it. At the time he was writing it, it was prophecy. Now, we're not going to read the entire chapter of Deuteronomy 32. The Song of Moses covers verses 1 through 43. I'm not going to read all of that, but I am going to hit a few highlights here and point out certain segments of time. And I'm hoping that as we go along, you'll be able to see this. Uh, And you have to think this was way back after Israel crossed the Red Sea. When Moses wrote this song under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and taught it to Israel. All right, first of all, let's take a look at verse 4. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. God is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. This goes right along with what we read in Revelation fifteen three. Just and true are thy ways. All right, verses 7 through 20 of Deuteronomy 32 talks about how God was faithful and provided for Israel even when they were in a backslidden state, forgot God and were unfaithful. Uh, let's look at verse 13. 
Deuteronomy 32:13. God made Israel to ride on the high places of the earth that he might eat the increase of the fields. And he made him to suck honey out of the rock, oil out of the flinty rock, butter of kine, and milk of sheep, with fat of lambs, and rams of the breed of Bashan, and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of wheat, and thou didst drink the pure blood of the grape. Move down, if you will, to verse 16. They provoked him to jealousy. With strange gods, with abominations provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God. To gods whom they knew not. To new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Out of the rock that begot thee, thou art unmindful. And has forgotten God that formed thee. So in these few verses here, you can see how God provided for Israel and they turned their back on God and, uh, were unfaithful to the Lord. All right. If you will, um, look at verse 21. Now I stated last week, that John the Baptist came preaching the message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You can't have a kingdom unless you have a king. And the kingdom was offered to Israel. But Israel, in order to receive the kingdom, they had to receive the king. But they rejected the king. They rejected their Messiah. Pilate asked, what shall I do with your king? And they said, crucify him, let his blood be on us and on our children. We have no king but Caesar. And like I said, had they had said Jesus is our king, uh, Rome would have come in and crucified Jesus for rebellion and whatever the case. Jesus would have raised from the dead three days later. The millennium could have started then. But God knew all along what Israel was going to do. He knew that Israel was going to be unfaithful and reject him. And since Israel uh, rejected God, uh, God has turned to the church. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And at the time he said that, Israel had by and large rejected him. Now you will not find any record or the word church used in the Old Testament. And the only place that we have of God pointing to the church is here in Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people, with those who were not Jews, the Gentiles. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So that verse there, if you want to say it points to the church, then there you have it. All right, verses 22 through 33. 
deals with Israel's dispersion among the nations of the world after A.D. 70. Um, when the Romans came in to Jerusalem there in 70 A.D., many of the Jews were crucified to where there wasn't another place to put a cross. A lot of the Jews were sold as slaves. And when the, uh, when the, uh, slave market was flooded, they had to do something with the Jews. So here's what they did. Deuteronomy 32, verse 24. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents of the dust. In 70 A.D., the Romans took many of the Jews out into the desert and just left them there to starve to death with no water and no food. Fulfilling Deuteronomy 32, 24. A lot of the Jews also were taken and placed in the gladiatorial arenas and the wild animals were loosed upon them, also fulfilling Deuteronomy 32, 24, where it says, I will also send teeth of beast upon thee. It's a serious thing to know God and turn away from God. Understand that. It's better for a man to have never known the way of God than to know the way of God and depart from it. In Israel, as a nation, they knew God. But they have rejected God. They have turned their back on God. They rejected their Messiah. And they have suffered greatly because of that. If you will, look at verse 25, Deuteronomy thirty-two twenty-five: The sword without and terror within shall destroy both the young man and the virgin, the suckling also with the man of gray hairs. Many believe that this is the Holocaust of World War II. But since that day so long ago when they said, let his blood be on us and on our children, they have suffered this fate many times uh, since that day. Look down, if you will, to verse 35. To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things that shall come upon them make haste. Now this is referring to the great tribulation period. Look at verse 41. If I wet my glittering sword and my hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh and that with blood of the slain and of captives from the beginning of revengeances upon the enemy. These verses are dealing with the battle of Armageddon. Where the blood will flow up to the horse's bridle six feet deep, up to 175 miles to 200 miles. All right, verse 43. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. 
for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. This is when Israel will accept Christ at the battle of Armageddon. They will then know who Jesus is. When they see him that day, they will say, what are these wounds in your hands and this wound in your side? And Jesus will say, this is where I was wounded in the house of my friends and so forth. And then they will know um, what they have done to Christ and they will accept him as Savior. And once they do that, they will be in favor with God uh, once again. Now, that is the song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32, verses 1 through 43. And uh, you can look over that sometime, get this CD, and hopefully some of the things I've pulled out here, and you can look back in history, you can see some of these things, hopefully. All right, let's take a look at the song of the Lamb. There's two songs that these people are singing in heaven. The song of Moses is the first song. The song of the Lamb is the second song. It's in Psalm 22. Psalm 22. Verse 1 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? These are the very words that Jesus spoke when he was on the cross. Look at verse 7. Psalm 22, verse 7. All they that see me laugh at me and scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighteth in him. Now in Matthew chapter 27 I'm going to read this account of when Jesus was on the cross. Um. Matthew 27, verse 39 says, And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said he saved others himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. So you can see in Psalm 22, verses 7 and 8, how those things were carried out there in Matthew chapter 27. And I know that story is familiar to most of you. All right, Psalm 22, verse 18 is another popular scripture that most of you should know. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. The soldiers did that at the foot of the cross. Now, because of what Jesus did at Calvary, look at what takes place in verse 27. Psalm 22 Verse 27, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. This ties right in now, if you'll flip over to Revelation 15 and verse 4. 
what I just stated there in Psalm 22, verses 27 and 28, ties right in with Revelation 15 and verse 4. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Keep in mind that the tribulation period is going to be the worst time that mankind has ever known because of God's judgments that are being poured out in this world at that time and are being made manifest. And no wonder all the nations of the world will come and fear God and worship Him. And that will be during the millennium. All right, Revelation 15, verse 5. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. This is the second time that this uh, is mentioned in the book of Revelation. The first time was back in Revelation 11 and verse 19. And that was right before Satan was kicked out of heaven. Verse 6. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. Both the tabernacle and the temple that was built here on earth was patterned after the one in heaven. And the Ark of the Testimony is where God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. The tabernacle and the temple with the Ark of the Covenant where God dwelt, all of that was a type of the incarnation of Christ, God manifest in the flesh. All that God told Moses to do and all that Solomon's temple was built, all of that in some way pointed to Christ. And that Ark sitting in the temple was God manifest in the flesh. All right? And like I said, all that pointed to Christ. But as you know, Israel and many others down through the ages have rejected Christ. And with that, they have rejected the temple. The temple, the tabernacle, the body of Christ is pretty much the same thing. And Jesus said the stone that the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Jesus referencing his body when he was standing in front of the temple one day said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. He wasn't talking about uh, Herod's temple. He was talking about his physical body. And so you can see the resemblance there of Jesus using the word tabernacle or temple in reference to his physical body. And like I said, he said, destroy this temple, and I will take it up and raise it up in three days. And, of course, he did do that. And you would think that after all of that, people would believe it. I was watching a documentary back uh, at Easter. Had a lot of different shows on 
about Christ and different things. This man who was doing the documentary, I heard him say that there was no doubt in his mind. All the evidence proved that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. There, there, there was no, there was no doubt about it. All the evidence proved that Jesus was raised from the dead. But then he turned right around and said this, but that doesn't prove that he was the son of God. I said, how stupid can you be? I mean, no other man in history has died, been buried for three days and raised from the dead. I mean, he's got to be God. He said he was God. His miracles proved that he was God. He actually existed. The history books show it. And the proof is he was raised from the dead. There's no body there, folks. They never found one bone. They never found anything because he was raised from the dead and ascended to the Father. All right. We have seven angels coming out of the temple. In essence, these angels are coming from the Lord. So let there be no mistake about it. What is about to take place in this world is from God, from the Lord. They are pure and righteous angels, as proven by what they're wearing. If you'll look there at the latter part of verse 6, they're clothed in pure and white linen. And they have on their breasts girded about with golden girdles. So these are godly angels. They're doing exactly what the Lord is asking them to do. All right. Verse 7 says that one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God who liveth forever and ever. God has poured out his grace and mercy on mankind for thousands of years. And man has rejected God's grace and mercy. When the seven seal judgments are opened, all of those who repent at that time and turn to God, God saves them. We see a group of them in heaven. They lose their lives, but they're saved. Their soul is saved. During the trumpet judgments, those judgments are poured out. We have people who turn to God and repent. At that point in time, judgments are poured out, and we're going to read it and study it here in a few weeks. The seven vile judgments that are poured out, and nobody turns to the Lord. And God knows this. At this point in time, God pulls off the gloves. And He is pouring out His wrath on sin. Because he knows that at this particular point in time, those to whom this judgment's going to be poured out on are not going to repent. All right, verse 8. And the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. The glory of God and the power of God is an awesome thing for those of us that are saved. We sing the song, Our God is an awesome God, and He is. But for those who are not saved, 
he's going to be an awful God because they're going to be on the other end of judgment. I'm so glad tonight that when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, he took all the judgment, every sin that I ever committed. He took everything uh, that would ever be needed and paid the price totally, absolutely, and completely. And, I mean, all you have to do is just believe it, and your sins are gone. When I stand before the Lord one day, I won't have to give an account of any sin that I've committed because Christ has paid for it all. But at the great white throne judgment, when hell is delivered up, those people will stand before the Lord that day, and the books will be opened. They will see where they had the opportunity to accept Christ as their Savior, and they refused for whatever reason. And the Lord's going to look in the Lamb's book of life, And whosoever was not found written in the Lamb's book of life, then they were taken over and thrown into the lake of fire. And that's why we believe that hell is one place, the lake of fire is another. There's coming a day when everybody in hell is going to get out, but only for a short period of time to stand at the great white throne judgment. And then they're going to be thrown into a lake of fire, which is a lot worse than hell because... I mean, if you've ever had the experience of drowning, and just imagine being thrown into a lake of fire. But that's what's in store for those that are lost. God is an awesome God, but for those who are lost, He's going to be an awful God. But sin will be judged. It was either judged at Calvary's cross or either the individual will have to pay and suffer that judgment. The choice is entirely uh, up to the individual. All right. Revelation 15, verse 8. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. These are going to be the worst of the plagues ever to be poured out upon this planet. And no man being able to enter into the temple at that time is saying that God is not going to hear any petitions for mercy at that time. And those that are here on earth are going to experience the raw, naked power of God. And it's going to be a bad time. Now is the time to make your petition known unto the Lord. If you've got a prayer to pray, anything in your life that's not right, now's the time to get it right. If there's someone that you're holding a grudge against, if there's unforgiveness there, now's the time to get it right and go to them. Because there's coming a day when there will be no petitions heard of the Lord. Isaiah said, Isaiah 55 and verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And the Lord is near today for any of us who wish to go to him. But there's coming a day when no man will be able to enter into the temple and make any petitions known. And it's during the great tribulation period. 
And we're just going to stop right there since we're at the end of chapter 15. And we'll pick it up with verse 16 here in just a couple of weeks. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.